something to say. Hello everybody, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today we're going to talk about fantasy fiction and the problems of essentialism. See, now you're starting to understand why I did the episode I did yesterday on I'm wanting to talk about more philosophical issues and how they affect both world-building, writing, and the fiction we love. Yeah, <laughs> there's a reason why I took an entire episode to talk about that, because it's actually one of the things that I want to talk about. So, first of all, I want to start with trying to define essentialism, because this is the worst word in English. It means everything, because a lot of different philosophical movements have, over time, adopted this word to describe what it is that they are. For example, there was a wonderful book that came out a couple years back that was all about essentialism in that you should try to simplify your life down to just the essentials and to focus on those things and, you know, get rid of all the extraneous clutter that is in your life. And it's a very good book and I highly recommend it. It's a book that did wonders for me and I adopted a lot of the thoughts that were in it. But that's not what we're talking about today. And we could break this down into all of its subcategories. And believe me, there are a lot of subcategories that this could be broken down into. So, for example, there are things like gender essentialists out there who believe that there are certain essential things that make a person one gender or another. There are racists out there who have actually used the term when they talk about race or ethnic essentialism, where oh, they, they believe that there is something actually innate in race and that it is not a cultural construct that has evolved over the millennia and has taken root in society to mean different things to different people at different times. Yeah, and that one is actually quite pernicious in fantasy, but we'll get to that. And the... I, I could just go on and list various things that there are philosophical movements that then begin talking about the essential this, the essential that, the essential the other. Fantasy fiction, and especially fantasy world building, has a huge problem with essentialism. And for someone like me, who in many respects is not entirely an essentialist by nature, in fact, I, I'm more of a performativist, which means that rather than there being an essential quality that makes you this, that, or the other, a lot of it comes down to performance and or appearance. And yes, there are some internal feels that come along with certain aspects of life. Like, for example, my religious beliefs, to me, they feel essential because they are a large bit of who I am. And I would have a hard time contemplating my place in the world and the nature of the world without those beliefs, they are not necessarily essential in the grand scheme of things while they appear to be essential to me. And again, I don't want to get bogged down in all of that. I want to try to keep our discussion of this topic focused as much as we possibly can on 
fantasy fiction and the problems that present themselves there. So in most fantasy worlds, you have the issue of introducing magic into your setting. Because, let's be honest, the main differentiator between fantasy and science fiction is whether or not there is magic. Sometimes spaceships, but not always. Because, you know, Star Wars. I know there are people that want to see Star Wars as science fiction. It's not. It's space fantasy. Because the Force, that's magic. And science fiction generally tries to avoid magic when and where possible. It might try to justify and explain, <clears throat> Medicalorians, what makes the magic possible, but science fiction generally tries to avoid magic in all of its forms. Magic is fun to create as a writer, and trying to figure out how your magic system works is one of the great joys of doing fantasy fiction, and one of the reasons why it's the genre that I have spent most of my life writing in, because I, I like constructing magic systems. Now, having said that, it starts posing problems when you are defining what you're doing, because almost every magic system that I have encountered starts from a perspective that there is an essential something, okay? That could be a life force that, such as in Star Wars or Full Metal Alchemist, there may be elements like you see in Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. So we can talk about the fire of fire, the earth of earth, the air of air, the water of water. Those are essentials, and they have certain qualities that go along with them. And a lot of magic systems do bring in either the classical or the Chinese elements into their way of thinking. I do this. There's nothing wrong with doing this. But it is assigning an essential quality. Now, when we look at something like Avatar The Last Airbender, we see how this actually works out in most of our characters. Earthbenders are solid, they're strong, they're rooted, and those qualities, which are derived from the idea of Earth, can be found in virtually all Earthbenders that we meet. Even Boomy, who appears to be kind of a crazy old man, he is well-rooted in what he's doing, and his show of insanity is actually him trying to get Aang to realize who he is. Right? So, yeah, firebenders are brash, arrogant, either fully in control so that they do, do not rage, or are rage monsters who burn and destroy everything around them. And this, of course, is the main conflict within Zuko that he has to learn how to cope with throughout the series. Waterbenders are cool, calm, they're healers. When angered, they strike with the ferocity of a tidal wave or a flood. These are all elements of water. Airbenders are hard to nail down. They're free spirits. They flow where they want to flow. They do the things that they want to do. They're so light and, excuse the use of the word airy, that Toph refers to Aang as Twinkle Toes. Because, quite literally, very often, especially in combat, his feet don't touch the ground. There's nothing inherently wrong in doing that, especially with things like elements and basic magical forces. Because if you're establishing those things, you need to have at least some tangential idea of where the power is coming from, be it from the force or the elements and their precise combination or what have you. Not a problem. 
Where essentialism starts becoming problematic is gender is very often seen as an essential characteristic in a lot of stories. Sometimes there are arts that can only be learned by one gender. And while there may be some explanation for this that does sound, at least within the logic of the world, like it makes some kind of sense, oftentimes they're just playing on the idea that there is some essential quality of female or essential quality of male that they are trying to distill to dis to and elevate through magical means. Th this is where a lot of world building starts to fall apart for me, and this may be because I'm trans, and while I've only started identifying that way in the last couple of years, you know, I knew since the time I was a little kid, you know, that I wanted to be different. And you can go back and... I did a whole episode on it, but to connect any specific thing with a biological sex rather than with gender, I think is where you start seeing problems. Now, I don't have problems with a brotherhood or a sisterhood because historically speaking, yes, we generally have convents and monasteries in most world religions who have such things, and they're generally for different reasons for each one broken up by gender Things like that can happen. I am not going to fault anything like that. You know, I've done that in my own fiction. Just because, you know, when you see a monastery, you, you expect the people in it to be, you know, of a uniform gender. Now, where I, to me, this starts falling apart is when we start describing certain powers to just being masculine or just being feminine. And so a tomboy couldn't have access to masculine powers because they are female. Well, why not? They're, they're presenting more masculine. They are participating in those masculine en energies. Why wouldn't they have access to them? And I, I kind of only go out to Tomboy because a lot of fiction doesn't seem to have a place for a transgender character to exist. I was actually talking with a friend of mine about that the other day. What would transgenderism look like in the Harry Potter universe? <laughs> Like, would they just do a potion? Is that just a kind of human transfiguration that they would do? What, what would that even look like? And I find that myself struggling with that in my own fi fiction because I'm working on a world right now that will have a couple trans characters in it because it's me and I want them to be there. And I'm like, is there a potion that they have to take regularly that's like the hormones that trans people, not all trans people, but some trans people have to take? to ensure their transition? Is it more of a magical change and they're made into the other gender? I haven't quite decided. Because each of those decisions has impl implications on what we are saying gender is. And so we have to be very careful in how we actually employ them. And so when we start talking about these essential gendered characteristics, a lot of writers seem to just take them as default because, well, most cisgendered writers are coming from a place where they've never questioned their gender. This gets a bit more interesting in more feminist writing. When you read Ursula K. Le Guin's uh, Ursi, there are certain magics that are reserved for women, and it's the, the reasoning in there is interesting because she's using that as a way to look at the roles of women in society and how 
that is played out in a magical world. And that, that is a very interesting way to do it. And one of the more fascinating things that I've ever read on the subject that used it. I think our biggest problem when it comes to fantasy, though, is what I would refer to here as racial essentialism. Because, yeah, science fiction and fantasy is horrifically racist. And it doesn't realize that it is. And it makes me feel dirty because I actually enjoy some of that. Okay, so what do I mean by this? When I'm saying that world building often boils down to essentials, all Klingons are warriors who fight, who have an innate drive to fight and participate within an honor-based culture. All orcs in Tolkien are evil. The race of men, as he refers to it. We're not going to open that can of worms yet, but all you know, the race of men goes back and forth. The hobbits that we meet are basically good. The elves that we meet are predominantly good. We meet a fallen angel in the person of Sauron. I'm sorry, Sauron and Sauron. But there isn't a lot of variety within each of these groups. And some of that is story because, well, we're only, we don't spend a, we, well, we do spend a lot of time in, in Hobbit, Hobbiton in the book, but we're telling the story of the war leading up to the War of the Rings and the outcome of the War of the Rings. And so we're not really interested in maybe whether or not there are pacifist or warrior hobbits or any of those other shades of gray that we might find in a civilization. So I get that how story can sometimes heighten these things, but there is an expected racism that comes into most fantasy that has gotten to the point where the tropes are so solid that if I say elf, you're immediately going to think probably of a tall, slender, white character, probably with blonde hair, fair hair in some of some stripe, very thin, willowy almost, a paragon of virtue, possibly even to the point of arrogance about their virtuous nature and character, who lives probably in the forest, in the trees somewhere, in a glorious elven realm where everything is perfect and life is perfect and perfection is all that they do. And that's problematic. Because if I ask you what an orc is, or what a dwarf is, or go down the list of traditional magical races, you, you probably have a very firm idea of what I'm talking about. And it's one of those where all of them are like that. And of course, we can't have variety in elves, so we have dark elves, or in D&D, the drow. See, they're different from other elves in that their skin is black. So they're not like the fair elves. They're dark and they're sinister because, see, their skin's dark, which makes them sinister. And that variety isn't there. Now, again, some of that is storytelling convenience. We don't often get to go into the villages and spend a lot of time with all the characters to find out about, oh, look, there's that little elf who's just kind of a trickster, and there's that elf who hates everything, and oh, look, there's an elf who's sloppy. But we reduce culture to such a degree that everyone of a particular culture is that thing, and they all act that way. That, that becomes extremely problematic, because not every American thinks the same thing. Like, it's very obvious. 
had some pollsters stop by the house the other day who were trying to see who we were going to be voting for in the upcoming election. And they were so excited when I told them who I was going to vote for because everybody that they talked to in the area said they were voting for the other person. See, there's dissent even here in the heartland of America. I don't fit into the culture. And I know a lot of people around here who don't fit into the culture. And that may or may not be just a simple aberration to the rules of how things are around here. But I am an aberration to the rules of the way a lot of people act around here. You can find people like that in every culture. As well as within every culture, there's generally multiple subcultures. And I get it, it's fiction, we're wanting to have shorthand, but we have to be very careful because what we end up creating in a lot of our stories is very racist, sexist shorthand. And it's not intentional. It's enculturated into us. It's, it's one of those things that I've always found interesting, like, why is a witch called a witch and a wizard a wizard in Harry Potter? And it's because... You know, in J.K. Rowling's mind, there are boys and there are girls, and so we need a male name and a female name, and she chose witch and wizard to be the male and female versions of these words. But Hermione, why isn't she a wizard? Could she be a wizard? And if not, why not? And it may just be because in her world, if you are a female, you are called a witch. It's just the word that we use. And okay, all right, fine. But are there implications that go along with that? Because, see, culturally, when I think of a wizard, I think of somebody who has studied and learned and has tomes and tomes, magic books just stacked to the ceiling and is very precise and delicate in what they're doing. And because of my enculturation, when I think of a witch, I think of somebody with a cauldron who's just kind of casting nature magic. Because a lot of our modern sensibility about what makes a witch is what male brewers wanted us to think about females who had the audacity to make beer, even though traditionally making beer was woman's work until somebody found out, oh, there's money in it? Oh, women shouldn't do that. There they are with their cauldrons, boiling their strange brews with their herbs and all that strangeness in there. You know, they would often hang a broom over their door to say that they had extra beer, right? So when you went by someone's house, if you saw a broom over the door, you knew that they had more beer than they needed, and if you needed to buy some, you could get some from them. They would also wear pointed hats because it would make them stand out in the marketplace when they were selling their beer. Yeah, most of the iconography that comes into your head when I say a witch is actually referring to medieval women who would brew beer in the house and found that they could actually brew more than their household needed and make a living selling the rest. And how those habits became demonized when people realized they could make money off of beer and men tried to take brewing away from them. A lot of people don't know that. But that's why when you think about a witch, you often think uneducated, uncouth, throwing who knows what into a cauldron to make their spells work. Because they're not doing what those men do, and scientifically concocting the best brew possible. And so that's baggage that comes along with the word. And it's unconscious baggage, and it could be baggage you're trying to fight against. Hermione is none of those things. In fact, Hermione is more studious than any of the wizards that we hear the word wizard attached to, except for maybe Dumbledore or Snape. Snape seems to have read a lot. <laughs> they know a lot. Right? 
but we we tend to boil these things down a little too much and we need to start looking at the ramifications of those choices in our fandom and in the fiction that we are creating ourselves because if even if it's by accident we are gendering something that doesn't need to be gendered or even worse creating accidentally racist caricatures in our fiction so that we have some sense of the ethnic races Eh, we need to be very careful about that and now cultures are different cultures of the desert are going to be different from cultures based in mountains or rivers or this that or the other thing and you don't have to base your cultures entirely off of you know real life situations. but you also have to remember that there are going to be people that differ within that culture and that I don't think should be as big a deal as it often is in our fiction. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking about Klingons a lot in this episode, and that's technically not a fantasy world unless we go into Q, but Q's weird, and we're not going to talk about that right now. But it, it's a very good example that I think a lot of people are aware of. So in Enterprise, we meet some scientist Klingons, and we meet some lawyer Klingons, and they're shown as being freaks amongst their own kind because they're not just barbaric, smashy-smash people. Well, I I understand you want your warrior culture with your warrior ethos, but let's be practical here. Your warrior culture... Let's look at a real-life one, the Mongols. Your warrior culture can only be a warrior culture because someone is making everything better for them. Genghis Khan would do everything in his power to get the metalsmiths and scientists and religious leaders of the peoples that they conquered on his side, and he would bring them back to his capital so that they could reap the benefit of that knowledge that their people didn't have. Because you can't make a better bow if you don't have people that understand how bows actually work. I mean, even in a warrior society, people are going to want comfortable furniture and nice houses and craftsmen making them their jewelry and their clothes those things are still going to be prized and yeah there may be some stigma in the culture to somebody who would rather sew robes than go out and fight but the people that are going out to fight want those nicely sewn robes so there will be some room within this culture to allow people to express themselves differently And that, more than anything, is something that I think we as writers need to focus on and make sure that we're doing within the stories that we're constructing. But it's something we should think about, especially in our fandom, about what are other people in this world like that aren't the stereotype? What what is your personal fanfic of a good Slytherin? Because all Slytherins can't be bad. That just doesn't make sense. Even in Slytherin House, there would have been somebody who's at least thought about saying something bad to Draco Malfoy, whether they had the courage to say it or not, or thought it was wise to say it or not, because remember their chief attribute is that they are cunning. I don't know. It's just, it's something that we should think about and try to avoid in our fiction, because it's, we don't want to accidentally encourage things that are harmful in real life, like that there are essential qualities to race or essential qualities to gender. Those can be very problematic ideas and things that we should work at. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's something I've been wanting to talk about for a while, and 
I did. If you like this episode and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either the episode or the series, please do that. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm that I should be shown to other people, and that helps a lot. If you know anybody that you think would like this episode or anything, any of the other ones, please share this podcast with them. We only grow because you guys share us, guys and gals and everything in between. I want to say hi to everybody who's listening. Uh, we've got a bunch of people listening on iOS. That's our clear number one right now. We have Next on Stitcher, then Pocket Cast, then Android, Anchor, and Spotify. And then a whole bunch of other people that are just listed as other. So if I didn't list how you're listening to me, hi! I'd love to know how you're listening because that I, I find fascinating. So hello to everybody out there. And thank you for helping the episode grow. We have actually surpassed last month already in listens. And that makes me very, very happy. Um, I like to see the podcast growing because I really enjoy doing these. So if you can tell somebody, tell somebody. That would really make my day. If you have a buck that you can throw my way, that would also be greatly appreciated. Depending on the app that you're listening to me on, there will either be a button that says um, support or support on Anchor, or in the show notes, there will be a link that says Anchor um, support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support me at either the $1, $5, or $10 level. Any support can really help. Um, I'm going to have to buy some new software soon to make sure that the noises go away. Like on yesterday's episode where I was talking about the uh, lawnmower in the background, SoundSoap got rid of most of that sound. So, yay! And I'm going to have to update that soon. And that's going to cost me like a hundred bucks. So if you could help, <laughs> it would be greatly appreciated. If not, don't feel any pressure. Just, you know, tell other people about the podcast, help the podcast grow. That helps out a bunch too. If you want to contact me, download the Anchor app at anchor.fm and you can click the, there's a button on there that you can click and you can send me a one minute audio message. Keep it clean so I can use it on the show, but you can share in your questions, comments, or if you have any episode suggestions. I would love to hear from you. That would be awesome. Um, you can find a link to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. And if you want to support everything, including my writing, you can go to patreon.com slash cedorset, and that helps out everything. But I'm trying to keep funds separate for the podcast and the writing just because I, I really want to see that you know the podcast can support itself because it takes me away from doing the writing. And, you know, I don't know, just that's the way I am. <laughs> Anywho, thank you all for listening, and until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.